I hope that the words that I uh, express today give, give language that stays with you, that helps um, maybe identify where you are in your faith journey. Uh, in Scripture, you know it in Genesis 3, in real time, in the oxygen that we breathe, Adam and Eve took the fruit. And uh, it says, the eyes of them were both opened, and they knew that they were naked. Isn't that interesting? For the first time, the, the, the word naked before just meant without clothes. From now in, it will have a nefarious feeling of shame, of so something's very wrong with me. So I, I, I am not, I don't fit in. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Knowing full well where he was. And listen, this is the key to all that I want to say. Adam said, look, I, 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 I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. I didn't know what you would do now. I knew who you were before I did this, but who are you now to me? I was afraid because I was naked and I realized what nakedness from wrong feels like and I'm I'm freaked out. What are you going to do? I was afraid because I was naked, so I didn't know what else to do but hid myself. I had to hide myself. And on that day, Adam initiates a horrible legacy. For the first time, someone looks over their shoulder. For the, for the very first time, someone's eyes dart. For the very first time, someone tries to cover their tracks. And a stone is thrown into a pool, a giant ongoing pool of DNA whose concentric circles uh, start working their way out through history all the way uh, down to me. And now when I get embarrassed or exposed or I do something or something's done to me that convinces me Something's wrong with me. I, I, um, I'm not enough. I don't match up. Shh. I hide. I know how to hide. So, see, as early on as we can remember, we've performed for acceptance. If I'm talented, beautiful, handsome, good, together, competent, right enough, I'm going to be loved and have a happy life. I'll be accepted. And if not... I'll be pitied and patronized and rejected, and I'll live a second-class life. You know what it all reminds me of? It is the Santa Claus is coming to town theology. 
Santa Claus. We created Santa Claus because we couldn't handle God. The truth is we can't handle Santa Claus. We made them all jolly and chubby and sassy, but the truth is the guy's a controlling legalist with almost unlimited power. You'd better watch out. You'd better not cry. You'd better not pout. Let me be the one to tell you why. Because the big man's coming to town. Santa Claus. <laughs> he's making a list. Yeah, he's checking it twice. He will, he will find out who's naughty or nice. And this controlling, omniscient legalist, he's coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. Which in my book is wrong, okay? I don't care who you are. I do not want you coming into my bedroom when I'm sleeping and watching me. Santa, get out of here. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good. So be good for, uh, wait for it, goodness sake. Oh, and your value is on how much you do right and how little do you do wrong. And he's already writing stuff down. He's going to find you out in this controlling, omniscient, legalist. He's coming to town. So, so you had better watch out. You had better fear this guy. You better stop sniveling. You better not pout. You better put on a good face and act like you're somebody better than who you actually happen to be, for goodness sake. Because you're constantly on trial. And if you want good things to happen to your life, you better figure out how to keep this guy happy. Isn't that crazy? It is genetically wired into us. We learn early on how to perform because the highest value is being accepted and, and the means is, is right appearances. Well, see, there's the problem. Because uh, I fail. Another result of the fall, my failure seems to me more weird and shameful than yours. And so I live with the secret awareness of just how poorly I'm doing, how little I've grown. I feel unfit, unworthy, unlovable. Shh! I'm naked, so I've got to cover myself. No, no, no one must know. I've I got to mask myself with enough reasons to be loved. I, I've got to brag, uh, put others down. I've got to idealize myself, posture, bluff, keep, keep, keep a smile on, avoid correction, justify, rationalize, hide the real me. Ah, and then comes the gospel, the sweet gospel, the sweet gospel of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, and for some of us, it's the first time we've heard it. For some of us, it's the 8,209th time we've heard it. He, God, made him who knew no sin to actually become my sin so that I might become the righteousness of God in him. What? He, God, made him, Jesus, who had never known any sin, to actually become my sin in a moment in time, so that in a moment in time, when I come to put my hope in it, I become righteous? Are you kidding me? That happened? <laughs> 
to me, to you, on your worst day. We're clothed in righteousness by the willingness of God to become naked and suffer our penalty. And so the pattern gets broken. New wiring fills my circuit. I dare to believe that I'm lovable just because he chooses to uniquely love me. We're delighted in, we're actually holy. We begin, we, we begin to believe that he created us lovable. He, he made us exactly who we wanted. He wanted a you on this planet at this time for specific, beautiful life and reasons. All he had to do was break through the chasm of sin's separation with his death on the cross and his resurrection. And this all radically and completely remakes us. And then, I don't know, you, you tell me, something happens. Um, maybe you go through a season where you don't experience his love as much, maybe you feel dry, or maybe you fail God in some way that you said you'd never do again. And suddenly, gradually, like smoke, it slips back under the door, and the lie reawakens. You begin to presume a sense of his absence or bad circumstances must be due to his displeasure with you. And so the cycle starts back up. You'll shore some things up. You got this. I got this. I got this. Straight some, straighten some magazines. Um, uh, set some standards. Get serious about your behaviors. You got this. Come on. The river's going to flow again. I got this. I got this. And then one day, because he loves you more than seven trillion yet unnamed galaxies, he will call you out. He will call you out. You'll, you'll just be walking along doing the normal Christian life, just, just in thinking you're just doing the Christian life. Then one day, one particular day, <clears throat> you slam into a pole, a giant pole, in the middle of an intersection where one road suddenly becomes two. And uh, you look up the pole way, way high in the sky, and there's arrows pointing down uh, from this intersection, down two paths. One, one says, trusting God. The other says, pleasing God. Well, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to choose between those. Those are both wonderful. But there they are, and they're not going away. And whichever one you choose will be the motivation of your heart for the rest of the journey. Dog. Um, trusting God. Uh, trusting God. Doesn't seem to give me much to do. Okay, you stay right there. Uh, pleasing God. Ooh. See, that's got to be it. This is, oh, so I know what's going on. God, you brought me to this place so I could make this decision and I could be with the sold-out people of God. Okay, I got it, I got it, I got it. Pleasing God, I have, I mean, after all he's done for us, I, I, the least I can do is please him, right? 
So I do. I start, I start on this journey, on this new path. And I start walking. At first, there's some bushes and uh, uh, small trees, and then eventually trees, and then forests, and then darkness for quite a while, 15, 20 minutes, and then eventually I can see a clearing off in the distance and um, beautiful, beautiful meadow. And then I see in the glimmering sun there is this huge, like, arena. And as I get closer to it, as I, I keep walking about 45 minutes now, I can see that there's, there's words across this arena. They say, Striving hard to be all God wants you to be. Yeah, absolutely. Striving hard to be all God wants you to be. Sounds like the army. Be all you can be. I'm jacked up. I'm going. I'm so excited. And I, I keep walking. Then I see there's a door on that building. And then I see that there's a handle on that door and I see there's two words written across self-effort well that's exactly right I, I, I mean God does his part but I got to do my part I mean God helps those who help themselves right that's in scripture somewhere like behind Malachi maybe if you read it with a black, uh, black light underwater I don't care. I, I'm, so, I'm so excited. I just, I walk in the door. Huge room, huge thousands of people, cacophony of sound. Oh, man, I'm with the sold-out people of God. I, and I don't notice it at first, um, but there's a hostess over here. And she says to me um, in a, in a voice that uh, upon further reflection just sounds uh, slick, kind of oily. She says, um, yeah, uh, welcome to the room of good intentions. And I, I don't even hear it. I'm just so excited to be here. I say, thank you, ma'am. This is wonderful. I, gosh, I'm here. Hey, everybody, how you doing? How, how's everybody doing? And nobody says a word. Nobody says a word. But this one guy, either he steps forward or everybody else steps back. But he says, like he's reading from a cue card, we're doing fine. <laughs> yes, we are. Fine. Fine as fine can be. We're fine. Doing fine. Business, there's liquidity and, you know, resurgence and stuff. The kids are, you've seen my bumper sticker. Kids are fine. We're all doing just fine. Bob, Debbie, Carlos, are we? We're fine. We're just fine. How are you? And I'm thinking, well, that's, that's odd. They're apparently fine. And um, then the hostess comes over and says, so how are you? And I say, thank you for asking. Thank you. I am I'm struggling with a bunch of things. Like, like, like for example, for, first of all, it, and she does this. And then she pulls from behind her a mask and nods for me to put it on. I, I, I don't want to wear a mask. I've never worn a mask. 
But as I look out I, and I hold the mask up, it looks like everybody in that room is, is wearing one too. They're all form-fitting, fit to your face. I don't, want, I don't know what to do. I, I so got to make it here. I can't. And I find myself saying, thank you, I'm doing fine. You're in the room of good intentions. Oh yeah, there's a, there's a banner on the back wall. I don't notice it at first. It says, working on my sin to achieve an intimate relationship with God. Working on my sin to achieve an intimate relationship with God. Well, that's got to be true because, cause, 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 let me just tell you, when I first came to know Jesus, it was like we were so close I could touch him. It felt like that. And then I don't know what, uh, Romans 7, I, I, something happened where it felt, here's what it felt like, that, that my sin started piling up. I, I kind of, I was creating this mound of sin. My stuff, my junk, my failures, the things I said I wasn't going to do, I did. The things I said I was going to do, I didn't. And it was gradually building up, and, and I noticed one day it seemed like he had left my side and went over around to the back side of my sin. And now I can't see him anymore. And now I can't touch him anymore. Because my, my, my pile of sin, it's got pus and hissy and steam from all the mess and junk, and, and I can't see him anymore. I mean, it's, it's like cat food that's been wet and sitting out for a week mixed with mayonnaise. It's just that kind of feel. And I imagine him on the other side now, because I can't see him, with his arms folded, saying um, to himself, I had so much hope for that kid. I had so much hope for that kid, but... He has failed me so many times. He's so many times said he would and didn't. I'm done. I'm done. Yes, he's going to heaven, but I'm, I'm done. And I want to call out now because I'm in this room. I don't want to say, hey, I, I, I love you. Look, I know things are, are weird and bad, and I, I get all that, but listen, I'm in this room now, and I'm, I'm going to start fixing this stuff, and you and I are going to get closer and closer and closer. But what nobody tells me in this room is that I can't do anything about that pile. And what nobody tells me in this room is that truckloads more of it are being brought in each week. And what nobody tells me in this room, too, is that when I wear a mask, only my mask gets loved. But this room, you guys, oh my gosh, is it impressive. Woo! Doggies, it, it has sincerity and perseverance and diligence and full-hearted fervency and sold-out determination. I go, this is it! This is it! I'm going to make him so happy. One day we're going to be so close. <sighs> but weeks turn into months. 
And the conversations, um, if you listen to them as you walk around, they feel superficial and guarded. They sound cynical and they look so tired. And if you catch them when they think no one's looking, there's deep, lonely pain in their faces. And I'm starting to think differently, too. I'm no longer as relaxed. I got this nagging anxiety. If I don't control my sin enough, I'm going to be on the outs with everyone in this room and probably with God, too. So, so I do. I, I, I invest more effort into, into sinning less. And, and, and doggone it, I, I, I actually feel better for a while. But despite all my striving and sincerity, I keep sinning. Some days I get fixated on trying not to sin. I can't seem to do enough. I never feel like I've done enough for him. It feels like I'm ma making every effort to please a God who never seems pleased enough. And suddenly this pleasing God path is turning into, what in the world must I do to keep him pleased with me? You guys, when, when we embrace this path, this theology, we reduce godliness to a ridiculous formula. More right behavior and less wrong behavior equals godliness. More right behavior, less wrong behavior, godly man. And... Um, the problem with it is it has to improve to reach up to heresy because it disregards the godliness and righteousness that God has already placed in us. If we tie godliness to enough right behavior, we're set up to live in hiddenness. We can't resolve our sin by working on it. When we strive to sin less, we don't. And we lose hope, and it keeps us immature. And though this, though this theology is breaking our hearts and let us down a thousand times, we keep des <clears throat> desperately hope, hoping this time I'll be able to control my and stop my compulsions and obsessions through enough sin sincerity and willpower. And I realize in this room I can't breathe. And I started asking people, well, hey, what's wrong? What, what, what's wrong with me? Why can't I seem to make it here? Everybody seems to be... <laughs> I, to make it, it's one thing nobody wants to talk about. So um, I wait. I wait until one night everybody's asleep. I can't do this anymore. I can't breathe. And I... I slip out the back. Now I'm on the road again. What am I doing? That was supposed to be the place. I, that, this, this, was, this was supposed to be it, the godly path, and I was supposed to be with the sold-out people of God. I, I have no idea what to do. And I am devastated and despondent. I'm freaked out. And I walk for a long time. I don't even know where I'm walking. I'm not even thinking about where I'm walking. I'm just walking. And I go probably about 45 minutes until boom. 
I'm back at that pole. That same pole where one road became two. And I look up at the pole at the other arrow leading down this path, and it says, trusting God. Oh, boy. Hey, anybody, does there happen to be a third path? And hearing nothing, I start walking. Same thing, bushes, trees, forest, darkness. Then uh, off in the distance, I can see some light. And I eventually keep walking, and there's a beautiful meadow. Same thing again. I keep walking. There, there it is. There's, there's another arena glimmering in the sun. And I get close enough, and I can see there's writing on this building too. And I, I keep walking because it doesn't make sense to me. But I get close enough where eventually I have to say that's what it says. And I, and I read it, it says, living out of who God says I am. Hey, well, there's one word right after another. What does that mean? I got no choice, so I keep walking. And I see, same thing, there's a door on that arena, and there's a doorknob. And this time I can see that there's like one word and I get closer and it says uh, humility. <laughs> yeah, because um, I've tried so hard and I can't do it. I've tried so hard to be all that you want me to be, to be enough, to be to what you deserve and I can't I'm hiding, I'm lying, I'm bluffing at this. I feel, Jesus, if anything good's going to come out of me, it's got to be you in me. Help, help, help me, help me. I open the door and I walk in. Same thing, um, Thousands of people, cacophony of sound, and um, I, I, I don't notice it at first, but uh, there's a hostess in this room too. And I, um, I hear her say, in, in, in a voice maybe as beautiful as any voice I've ever heard in my whole life, she says, hey kid, welcome to the room of grace. Now listen to how shrewd she is. She says to me, so how are you doing? Well, I've been here before. So I say, fine. I'm doing fine. Who wants to know? And then I, I, I look across this room and it just seems like the same stupid thing. Nobody's saying anything. So I, so I, I finally get up the courage to just say, hey everybody, you know what? I'm doing, <laughs> I'm doing not fine. <laughs> How's that? 
Not fine at all. I haven't been fine for a long time. I'm tired. I'm confused. I'm afraid. I feel guilty and lonely. I'm hiding crap from everybody. I'm sad most of the time. I can't make my life work. I'm so behind and befuddled about what to do next. It leaves me frozen. And if any of you people knew half my daily thoughts, you'd want me out of your little room. So there you go. Doing not fine. Thanks for not asking. And I find myself reaching for the doorknob at the back of the room when I hear this voice, this loud voice, shouting at me from the very back of the room. He yells, that's it? That's all you got? I'll take your confusion and guilt and bad thoughts and I'll raise your compulsive sin and chronic lower back pain. Oh, and I'm in debt up to my ears and I wouldn't know classical music from a show tune if it jumped up and bit me. You better get more than that little list if you want to play in my league, buddy. And the hostess leans over and says, I think he means you're welcome here. You're in the room of grace. Grace! 122 times in the New Testament. And you can't say it except for in Scottish or Irish, for this is the manner in which God speaks. Grace! And the Judaizers hated it. Romans 5 through 8. They said, Paul, you can't do this. You, can't, you, you, you just can't talk about grace. These people will take advantage of it. You've got to keep the lid on these people. They're vermin. They'll take advantage of it. They'll do Christianity light. Come on, Paul. I mean, if you want to use it occasionally like a condiment, like paprika, go, go ahead. But these people need the lid. You've got to keep it on them. You're going to keep the rules. You're going to keep the law. You've got to keep moralism. Come on, Paul. And Paul says, hey, thank you, Judaizers, so much. And um, gosh, that, that's a really compelling point, except these uh, vermin that you're talking about, they have a new heart. They, they don't want to get away with anything. They've got Christ in them. The, 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 the only reason they fail is bad religion that makes them want to rebel and makes them anesthetized. So you guys, you can get right behavior out of any theological system. But one will be compliance and one will be heartfelt obedience where I can crawl into his lap and feel safe and known and never rejected and never hit by a two by four and never angry at me, never disgusted at me, because he paid for it all. See, it's all over Scripture. Romans 6.14 can't say it more clearly. Sin will not be your master anymore because you are no longer under the law, but you're under grace. Sin will not be your master anymore because you're no longer under bluffing or moralism or striving or putting your best foot forward or thinking that you can do it on your own. No, you're under grace. He has done it all for you. 2 Timothy 2.1, my son, you be strong and you accept 
expect him to say in the diligence and the first. He says in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Acts 20, 32, I commend you to God in the word of his grace, which alone is able to build you up. Hebrews 4, 16, let us draw with confidence to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in those times of need, those hard times, those tight times, those chronic times. It helps us through. It's his grace that gets us through. The through pandemic times. Romans 5, 2, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Ah, well, maybe you're on to me. Maybe you can see what I'm doing, right? Hebrews 11, 11, 6. Um, it says, without faith, the word is pistos in the, in the Greek. Without faith, the, the verb form is uh, trust. Without faith, without trust, it is impossible to please him. Isn't that crazy? I, 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 it, pleasing, I can never do enough and I never learn to trust. In trusting, he would say, you've never pleased me so much. If I'm over here striving so hard to please him enough and that's my primary motivation in my heart, he says, you're never going to please me enough, kid, and you will never learn to trust me. But if over here on my worst day, I dare to believe who he says I am, that Christ is in me, that he has forgiven me once and for all, that I'm a new creature, that I'm beloved. And I dare to believe that he's put a robe of righteousness upon me. I dare to believe it on my worst day. And, and, and God says, kid, you're doing it. You're doing it. Oh, by the way, you've never pleased me so much in your whole life. See, pleasing God, it's an incredibly good desire. It just can't be our primary motivation or it'll imprison our hearts. For if we bring to God our moral striving to please him by solving our sin enough, we're back at the same square that put us in need of salvation. We're stuck with our talents, our desire, our longing, our chutzpah, our diligence, our resolve. Pleasing is not a means to our godliness. It's the fruit of our godliness because it's the fruit of trust. Well, here in the room of Garrett Grace, there is a banner on the back wall. It says this, standing with God, with my sin in front of me, working on it together. Standing with God, with my sin in front of us, working on it together. Wow. What if the shed blood of Jesus was this strong? that for all of us who have even put a clumsy hope in Jesus, he has not been over on the other side of your sin. Instead, he walks all the way around by his payment, and he walks all the way over until he finds me, and he stands right in front of me, like, like 10 inches from my face, and he, he makes that smile that no other, no other person can make. And he says, 
I know, I know, I know. I love you so much. I adore you. I'm crazy about you. I know. I've seen everything. I've seen it all. I know. I couldn't love you more. He puts his hands on my shoulder and says, I'm crazy about you. And it's not going to change. And then he, then, then he put his arms around me into like a bear hug and to hold me so tight. And I want to say, no, no, you, don't do that. You've got the wrong person. Please I, stop. Stop. I don't deserve this. And he keeps holding me tighter and tighter. He keeps saying, I got you, kid. I got you. I love you so much. I'm crazy about you. I keep fighting and fighting until I don't want to fight anymore. I've waited my whole life for this. I got you, kid. I got you. I'm not ashamed of you. I'm not disgusted. You're not behind. You're right on time. And he holds me and holds me until he's absolutely convinced I believe him. And then and only then does he release his grip. And then only so much... <clears throat> so that he can put his arm around me so that we can look at that mound together. Now, I've done this talk before, and, and every time I do it, I imagine him, <laughs> I imagine me, him with his arm around me, then I imagine my sin, us looking at it, and I can't help imagine him doing this. <clears throat> oh, my, <clears throat> my, my, my. <laughs> wow! Wow, that's a lot of sin. Like, don't you ever sleep? And then he would say, and we'll deal with it when you're ready, kid. Oh, and by the way, you are ready in five and four and three and two. Have we been changed? Oh, I get so tired of going to bookstores. Men, it's time to change. We've already been changed. As changed as we're going to be. And now um, we receive a brand new core identity. We've already been changed. Now we get to mature into who we really are. Look, if I brought a caterpillar to a biologist and asked him to describe its DNA, he would say, I know this looks like a caterpillar to you. But by every measurable scientific result, this is fully and completely a butterfly. Wow! God is wired into a creature looking nothing like a butterfly, a perfect, complete butterfly identity. And because the caterpillar is a butterfly in essence, it will one day inevitably, invariably display the attributes and behaviors of a butterfly. The caterpillar matures into what is already true about it. And so it is with us. God gives us the DNA of godliness. We're saints. We're righteous. He knows our DNA. He says, John, John, I, I want you to believe it. When you believe it, you will love more and you will sin less. <sighs> well, sad ending to this story. N not everybody stays in the room of grace once they enter. For you not only must believe that you're accepted, you have to learn to accept the yokels who are already here and who enter each week and they're goofy and odd and strange and flawed and failed and inappropriate. Oh, yeah, every now and then a presentable one slips in, but he soon discovers that his shtick is a mask and he too must learn to rest in the sufficiency of Christ or he or she will have to go back to where appearances make the person. 
And so now it's down to us in this room because some of us are saying in their hearts, you have, you have no idea. You, don't, you, you just don't know, preacher man. You don't know what I'm going through. And if I shared this ever with anybody, I would be unloved and unknown. We're just going to keep it this way. We're going to stay this way. As I tell you tonight, I, I did that for 40 years. But what if, what if because of the hard work of what you guys have been doing of, of learning this grace and identity in Christ, what if this campus, and I think it is, has become an environment of safety, of grace, where someone could be known and maybe you who are carrying this stuff might one day sit down somewhere safe and say to the other person, um, I, I got some stuff that is eating me alive and I've never told it to anyone. And I feel like I want... And, and you find yourself in some clumsy, revised way starting to tell your story. And what if because this campus is so beautiful. What if you respond this way? That's it? That's all you got? It'll be your way of saying, you have always been, and you are now, and you will always be. Welcome here. Thank you, guys. <laughs>